broadcasting from Mount Pleasant, Utah, this is the Sampete Horse Training Podcast. Sampete Horse Training's mission statement is simple, to send home a respectful, well-rounded, and well-broke horse that can handle a variety of situations. Hi, this is Eric Dent with Sampete Horse Training. Today's topic that we're going to talk about is the effect of oral health of horses on training and performance. As many of you know, uh, I'm a veterinarian, a practicing mixed animal veterinarian that uh, um, also owns and manages a veterinary clinic as a sister company to Sampete Horse Training. And um, over the years, uh, I've done a lot of work on horses in kind of the uh, backyard horse owner, trail riding, and a little bit of performance horse type uh, clientele. And it's something that I've always enjoyed uh, a lot um, and uh, something that uh, I feel like I've gotten a pretty good handle on all the basics of over the years. So I got to thinking just the other day about a couple of cases that I've seen that have kind of crossed over into both of the businesses, meaning that these horses came in for, for training and we ended up seeing some issues and then they become became patients of the veterinary clinic because of those issues um, and we were able to kind of help resolve some some of those medical issues um, so that they could go back into training and um, we've had this happen several times um, over the years with horses that we have not been training but have been in training or have been in kind of a performance type setting Um, and something happens and then um, you know it needs to be addressed and then the animal can go back to kind of their their top uh, performance ability. And so I want to highlight mostly oral health or oral diseases as it pertains to training in today's podcast episode. Um, And I'm going to give a couple examples of cases that we've seen that have been associated with uh, Sampete horse training. So horse teeth are, are interesting. They're very different than most domestic animals. Um, because they're an herbivore, they have uh, a type of teeth that is different than, say, people or a dog or a cat um, or, or other animals like that. Um, they have what's called hypsodont teeth. And what this means, there's a few differences between the typical uh, brachydont teeth that like a dog or cat would have and then hypsodont, which would be like most of your herbivores. Um, the hypsodont teeth continually erupt. So obviously in people, our, our you know, adult teeth come in and they get to their adult size and then they stay that way for the rest of our life. Whereas in a horse, they get their adult teeth and those adult teeth continually erupt um, a few millimeters every single year. And that's a, a feature that's very uh, important because it leads to some potential problems, okay? Um, Another feature of hypsodont teeth is that the enamel is not on the outside of the tooth. It's actually kind of mixed into the center of the tooth. Um, And there's the other typical tooth uh, materials such as cementum and and dentin that's kind of mixed in with this. And the enamel, um, which is obviously the hardest part of the tooth, is not actually on the outside of the tooth like it is in in people or dogs or cats or other animals like that. Because the teeth continually erupt, 
um, they also are continually worn down. And the, the action of grazing and chewing normally wears down the teeth at roughly the same rate that the teeth are erupting. And um, horses, this leads to a lot of potential problems in horses because whenever the teeth are not perfectly aligned with each other, either from side to side, you know, medial to lateral or front to back, um, kind of, uh, you know, anterior to posterior, rostral to, to caudal, um, then that can lead to portions of the tooth not being worn down as much as other portions of other teeth, okay? Um, and this, this results in things like really sharp points. The typical case is the, the outside of the upper arcade and then the inside of the lower arcade. And this can lead to uh, things like ulcers uh, against the cheeks on the upper, because of the upper teeth, or against the tongue, or on the tongue, um, because of the, the, those sharp points on the lower teeth. Um, and I've seen some points that have been extremely dramatic. Um, also, if there's not alignment from front to back, that can result in these really, really large hooks. And these hooks can get so bad to where they actually inhibit the ability of the teeth to, to grind side to side. And they can actually even start to dig in the, into the opposite gum and cause such severe oral pain that horses will stop eating. Or if they are eating, they're not chewing effectively and actually um, you know, grinding down that feed. Um, and so because the horse has hips and on teeth and, and, and because hips and on teeth lead to these potential problems, um, we can occasionally see this as an issue in training or an issue in performance ability. And because the oral cavity in a horse is not really that easy to just look into and see a problem, um, a lot of times these go unnoticed for quite some time until there's more dramatic clinical signs that are associated with it. So um, back when I was very first, uh, when I very first got out of school and was practicing um, up in Wyoming, um, I uh, saw this case that I'll never forget. It was, it was quite interesting. It was basically a barrel horse that had been running at the top of the 2D um, class very consistently for a long, long time. Um, and it had very consistent times, um, you know, literally within a half a second of its, you know, previous times in that individual arena. Um, There's just one of those real, like, you know, push-button type barrel horses. Very, very, very good at his job. And the owner noticed that slowly but surely there was about a half a second that was being added to the times that it was running. And... It was, uh, in, by, by her estimation, it was having a problem um, when it was being turned to the left into the barrel. It was like it was kind of balking at that barrel when it, would, when it would turn into the left. So it would come into the barrel really hard, and it would start to turn, and then as soon as it started to turn, it would kind of throw its head up or, or be just a little bit hesitant to really do that nice, tight, fluid turn 
and the problem was this horse was running one right and two lefts and because of that it was you know it was balking at two out of the three barrels and um this individual knew one of the receptionists at the clinic that i was working at at the time and and uh you know the the owner had taken this horse to a few different veterinarians and um you know some of them kind of traditional medicine some of them more like chiropractic acupuncture type stuff this has been going on for four or five months um and they hadn't really been able to figure it out and so one day she was talking to this uh you know the receptionist that worked at our clinic and the receptionist was like why don't you bring it on over and let dr dent take a look at it and and just to li- at least let him do an exam on it and see if he can see anything else so and so she did she brought the horse over and and to be honest with you, at the time, I kind of felt just a little bit intimidated by this because it was like, well, you know, it's been to all these, you know, equine-specific veterinarians and, and people that had done um, what I thought had been fairly full workups and, and really looked into it and a bunch of treatment that I personally didn't really know how to do, and I felt a little bit intimidated by that. But I remember just thinking to myself, well, you know, in vet school they taught us you just you start out with an exam. And, um, you know, in school, they always taught us that, that you do a full exam. You don't just do an exam, you do a full exam. And, and, uh, and so I did that. And, you know, my big disclaimer on this is that it's always easier to be second, third, fourth, fifth in line as a veterinarian because everybody else has ruled out everything else for you. And so, um, you know, in saying this, this certainly is not, you know, trying to be degrading to the other veterinarians that had seen them before because you know believe me I've been in that position as well where I haven't been been able to figure something out and it turns out that the third or fourth veterinarian down the line was able to figure it out because of all the history that the other veterinarians had had provided in in uh, you know their diagnostics and and treatment or lack of effectiveness of treatment or things like that and so um, but I just remember I was like well I'm just going to do a really thorough exam on this horse and so and so I did and one of the things that I did was I um, at the very end of the exam, I sedated the horse and put a, a speculum in its mouth and, and did an oral exam. Um, and when we got in there, there was um, a, a really significant wave in this horse's mouth. So basically, the molars and premolars, instead of being flat all the way back, um, there was kind of just like a, almost like a, a small roller coaster sort of a look to it where it it was higher in some points lower in other points higher in some points lower in other points and when i was able to take the upper jaw and the lower jaw and try to move them against each other as if i were to or as if the horse was to be chewing it actually hung up on one of those tooth those teeth it would basically just um catch and it, it uh, incidentally was a little bit worse when I would try to take the bottom jaw to the right, okay? Which if you think about it is kind of what approximates the horse turning to the left is as it goes left, its head, neck, and everything goes left, including the upper arcade, you know, the maxillary teeth, and the lower jaw, the mandibular teeth, kind of lag behind. And so what I was seeing was very consistent with that. When, when the bottom jaw would go to the right, it was hanging up on, on a few of those teeth that were in that wave pattern. Um, and so I, I told him, I said, you know, I, don't, I, I kind of doubt this is it, but I think it's worth floating this horse's teeth and, and getting rid of that wave, at least reducing it and getting some of those sharp edges so it won't hang up on it. And so we did, um, and it wasn't anything fancy. I, you know, we had basic equipment and 
you know, went in there and just did a T float and, um, they laid the horse off for a couple days, went back to running it again. And, it, you know, they had been running it, so it was in really good shape. She went to a barrel race that weekend and won it in the top of the 2D again. And then, um, basically a month or two later, I ran into this lady and, uh, she was like, it, she's like, doc, it honestly fixed it a hundred percent. Like the horse is back to being its normal self. Um, and so I think it just really highlighted to me that, um, oral pain in a horse can affect performance pretty dramatically. And this was a true performance animal, which, you know, a half a second mattered. And, and that little bit of pain coming into the, you know, that left turn was causing just enough of a hesitancy to that horse that it was a quarter of a second on each barrel. And that was basically putting them out of the money. And so, um, just a really, really interesting case and, and one that I'm really glad that I was able to be a part of because it really kind of shaped my perspective of of what does oral health in a horse uh, mean? Does it matter? And, and clearly the answer to that is yes. Um, and so I want to kind of counterbalance what I just barely said with an opposing point of view, okay? And that is is this. For every case that I've had, like I just described, I've had at least 10 cases where somebody comes in wanting to blame a medical problem on a horse's poor performance or basically their bad behavior. And I, I just, I get really frustrated with this because at the end of the day, it's almost always a training problem. It's almost always a respect problem. Um, it's almost never a medical problem. Um, I'll never forget a case that I saw really not that long ago. Uh, we had we had an individual that brought a horse in that that was really really sensitive on its uh, on one of its flanks, and this was a new horse to them. And um, they brought the horse in because I still remember on the appointment schedule it said the horse is colicking, and of course I go out and it didn't look anything like a colic case. It was the horse is standing there looking totally normal and I get a little bit more history and I find out that the owner is assuming that it's colicking because every time that she would try to brush the horse on this one flank, the horse would switch its tail and it would kind of do that little like a fly's landing on it, you know, jumping with its flank and it would kind of reach out like it wanted to kick the individual and, and that kind of a thing. And so this, this uh, client was assuming that the horse was painful, that it was colicking, so to speak, and that it was painful and that something medically was wrong. Um, you know, I, I looked at this both from a veterinary standpoint and made sure I did a full exam and all that kind of a thing, but I also looked at it very much from a training standpoint. So what are some of the features from a training standpoint that might come into play here? Okay, well, first of all, why would it only be on one side of the horse and not the other? That might suggest a medical problem, right? From my perspective as, as you know, the manager of a horse training company, no, it doesn't. It, it, it doesn't mean that it's a medical problem because remember that horses are two totally different animals. They, they are the left side of the horse and they are the right side of the horse. And those are totally disconnected. From a training standpoint, you train the left side of the horse, you train the right side of the horse. And what a horse picks up on the left side does not necessarily get picked up easily on the right side. And what is sensitive to a horse on on the right side is not necessarily sensitive to the horse on the left side. 
Okay. And there's a lot of really, really dramatic examples of this. We see this in every horse we train and some are more dramatic than others, but we've seen just, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of cases of this where um, there's a problem, so to speak, that is associated with one side of the body versus the other. Okay. So at the end of the day, this horse was sensitive on one of its flanks. And that was just a difference between the left side of the horse versus the right side of the horse. And it wasn't sensitive because there was a medical problem. It was sensitive because it was a horse. <laughs> um, and just like some horses are head shy or some horses don't like their flanks touched or some horses don't like, you know, uh, whatever it is, that's just something that you've got to desensitize them to. And so, you know, we never did work with this particular animal from a training standpoint, but I can promise you that I could have gotten that, gotten it out of that, you know, the horse very, very easily. It was, it was a sensitivity, um, may have been learned, may have been natural to that horse on that one particular location and had probably been ignored and even, um, enabled by the people that had owned it before. Um, and so to me, that was more of a training issue than it was a medical issue. Um, so how would I have fixed that? I would have done lots and lots and lots of desensitizing in the flanks. I would have, I would have made it so that I was challenging that horse, um, basically touching the flanks, putting pressure on them in a way that, um, that, you know, is causing that sensitivity. And then once the horse has its little freak out moment, eventually decides to relax, then I would take that pressure away. And I would do this over and over and over thousands and thousands of times in a lot of different scenarios, everything from putting a rope around the flanks and pulling them to, you know, kind of slapping the, the flanks to rubbing on them um, to using a, uh, an extension of your arm, such as a stick um, to touch up underneath the belly and in that flank area. Um, I would just do lots and lots and lots of desensitizing in that area and the horse would eventually get over it. Okay. Um, and so, you know, when it comes to, to performance issues or training issues or behavior issues in a horse, a lot of people really do want to look at the medical side of things. But in my experience as a veterinarian and as a horse trainer, I can tell you that it is at least 10 to one that it is a training issue or a behavior issue, not a medical issue. Okay. Um, and I could give dozens of examples of this. Um, I, I think that probably one of the most common ones is horses that are difficult to give a worm or two. People think that there's a medical problem in the oral cavity or horses that are hard to bridle or touch their ears, you know, passing that bridle up over their ears. And then people assume that they've got ear mites or they've got some sort of an ear problem. Okay. I hear that. I I've heard those two scenarios dozens of times throughout my veterinary career. And, you know, I could probably count on less than one hand the number of times that it was actually a medical problem, okay? Um, it's usually more of a sensitivity, you know, basically the horse needs to be desensitized and trained better. Um, and a lot of times it's something that they have learned. They've basically taught the human what the human's going to do. They've been training the human to not touch their ears or not touch their mouth or whatever. And the way that they've done that is basically they've pitched a fit and then the human decides that they're gonna just give them a break, which equals releasing pressure. And then that cements in the horse's mind that that was the right thing for them to do, okay? And so I think that uh, it's just something that uh, people that don't understand training just have a tendency to think 
that it's a medical problem when in reality it usually isn't. Okay. Um, so that's kind of that opposing point of view. Okay. Now I want to go back to the opposite side again and tell you another story about a horse that um, was in training with us and was having some, you know, basically some, some medical problems or uh, weight loss essentially was the problem. Okay. Now here at Sampete Horse Training, we, you know, it's like our little tagline or whatever you want to call it, miles, miles, and more miles. We put a lot of miles on the horses that we ride, a lot of miles. That's kind of what we view as being our, um, what differentiates us from most trainers. Okay, we're, we're in big country. Um, there's just thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of acres around us to ride on public ground, and we take full advantage of that, and these horses just get a ton of miles put on them. And because of that, they lose weight. And we've learned over the, over the years to to manage that by um, upping feed before they lose weight. Um, some horses it's easier than others. We rarely have horses that we don't have to grain while they're in training because of the number of miles that we're putting on them. We will occasionally find one, but that's very uncommon. And then on the flip side of that, we do occasionally have a horse where we can pound as much grain to them as we want, and they still will lose a little bit of weight. We can usually maintain it pretty well. But we do have a couple that go home just a little thinner than what I'd really like to see them going home. We don't ever push this to the point where it's, you know, a, a true medical concern. But there are times where I really wish that we'd keep a little bit more weight on them. These are usually more of the nervous kind of hotter type horses that are like this. So, um, so anyway, we had this horse that was in training with us, and it was losing some weight, and we were pushing the grain to it, you know, changing it from more just regular grass hay to more alfalfa, um, and we were just really making a concerted effort to try to to keep um, the weight adequate. The horse came to us not thin, but I wouldn't say much better than that. It was just it was just average. Um, and then as soon as we started working with it, it started losing weight. And so it got to the point where I was like, ah, oh, gosh, I just I'm kind of the point where I'm just a little bit concerned that this is getting a little bit too dramatic. And so. Um, we, whenever we're training a horse and there's a problem, we always have our, one of our veterinarians do a complimentary exam. Okay. Sometimes it's me. Sometimes it's our other veterinarians that work, uh, with, with, uh, veterinary clinic. And, uh, so in this instance, it was me and, and, um, we just do an exam to make sure that we can, um, we don't charge the clients for this. We just do the exam to make sure that we can see whether or not there's truly a problem there. Okay. And so in this case, um, I did an, a non-sedated oral exam where I pulled the tongue out and stuck a flashlight up in there and took a look. And I could see what, what looked to me like just a little bit too much of a hook in the back of the mouth. And so I called up the owner and I said, hey, I, I think there's some, some oral problems here. Um, how long has it been since the horse's teeth have been floated? And it had been quite some time, you know, several years. And so um, I was able to get their permission to proceed with, um, you know, doing a sedated speculum exam and then potentially a teeth float if we needed to. So we get in there, and this horse had about a half-inch overlap um, where the upper arcade was a half-inch farther forward than it should have been compared to the lower arcade. And what that did, because these hypsodont teeth are constantly erupting, is it made it so that the the most uh, forward tooth um, 
which is basically the you know one of the premolars was a little bit too far forward compared to the opposing tooth on the the mandible and it because it wasn't being it didn't have true occlusion with another tooth below it it the front half of that tooth was basically growing this huge hook that was about an inch and a half long um and it grew down in front of the lower you know most forward premolar on the mandible side okay and then in the very back of the mouth the mandible the the most you know caudal or, or rearward molar was a half inch offset from the tooth opposing it on on the maxillary side or on the upper arcade okay and it had about a two inch hook on it and that one was digging into the gums directly behind the molar on the upper arcade and it was it was literally it, it had a big like pretty good size hole there where um, I mean talk about a canker sore like that's about that's like the mother of all canker sores where every time the horse would chew its teeth were literally digging into the gums on the opposite side um, and it was a little worse on one side than the other but they were they were basically about the same one was about an inch and three quarters and the other one was about two inches long and uh, so we were able to go in and um, grind those off down to where they should have been and um, float the teeth, get rid of all the sharp points. And it, it literally wasn't a week later, and that horse had already gained like 30, 40 pounds. And by the time it, it, it hit two, three, four weeks down the road, it was back into its normal condition, I mean, even though we continued to train it very hard. Um, and so this horse didn't have what I would really consider to be any performance issues. It wasn't tossing its head. It wasn't acting painful. It wasn't, there really wasn't anything. It was just a stoic horse. It was probably eating, you know, looking back on it, it probably wasn't eating as vigorously as the typical horse, but you know, that wasn't really a real specific sort of a thing. Um, you know, it was coming along well in its training. It was, it was fine. <laughs> it was just that it was losing weight. And so, um, I was really glad that we were able to do that, um, that exam, that complimentary exam, because it made a big difference for us to be able to find that instead of just being like, oh, you know, it's losing too much weight. Let's pound a little more grain to it. And then, you know, oh, we, maybe we need to give it a break for a few weeks or whatever. We've never been able to figure that out. And so I'm really glad that we were able to find that. And, and that's something that uh, I can't say has happened with any frequency, but it certainly highlights the, the uh, potential for oral conditions to cause an issue. Um, and so that's more of a dramatic case, but there are less dramatic cases that can kind of lead to a variety of symptoms. Um, a lot of horses are just kind of a little bit crabby when they have kind of that, that oral pain sort of a thing going on. Um, some horses do become just a little more sensitive around their face and their head. Some horses are just a little bit more, uh, I would say they become less soft to the work that you're doing to get them um, to respond to the to the bit, lateral flexion, vertical flexion, stopping, things like that. Um, some horses won't eat quite as well. Some horses, um, there's really no, excuse me, any sort of change at all. So I, I think that um, the times where customers or clients have come to me as a veterinarian saying my horse has a medical problem and I know it, and it turns out that they were right, those times are almost always the people 
that are riding their horse every day and the ones that are performing on their horses and the ones that are extremely in tune with what their horse is normally like. Um, I'll never forget a case where a, a veterinary client called us up and said, my horse has just been off for the last few days and I feel like he's just he's just kind of chewing at the bit a little more and, and hasn't had quite the stamina and has been just a little bit more crabby. It's like he's just kind of pissy. Like every time I ask him to to stop and then I back him up, he kind of pins his ears at me a little bit, you know. And uh, so this was a three-year-old gilding that this person literally had ridden every single day for the last year. She noticed that this horse just wasn't acting quite normal, and so she brought it in to take a look at it. And it turns out that it was losing the caps on its three-year-old, you know, the three-year-old caps, um, which is basically a deciduous tooth that's coming off. And, uh, and so it was causing a little bit of pain, kind of like a child that's teething or, you know, when you lose a tooth and it kind of hurts for a little bit. And the horse was resenting the, the work that was um, being done, which, would, would it, which it typically didn't resent at all because there was no pain in the oral cavity. And all of a sudden there's a little bit of pain. And so that occurred. So in this case, what we did, is we popped off one of the caps that was starting to fall off. And we told the owner, just give the horse a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory right before you ride it every day. They'll eventually fall out. The horse will be fine. You're basically just making it more comfortable while you're riding them. No reason to stop riding. And so she did that for a few days until the other ones fell out. And then the horse was back to being totally normal. Um, and so I do think that, that people that are riding them really, really consistent are the type of people that can typically find those medical problems when they pop up. Um, but the more often scenario is the one where people aren't getting along with their horse period because it's not being interacted with properly and it's not honestly it's not got a good foundation on it's not trained well and so then they want to blame that on a medical problem and so anyway um so what is my recommendation when it comes to uh, floating teeth and and oral care um you know, I, it's hard for me to really give a real specific, like, you need to do this at this time. Obviously, the age of the horse makes a difference. Um, but at the very least, what I like to do is when I'm vaccinating horses every year, I like to take a look in their mouth. It's not necessarily a sedated speculum exam, but I just like to take a look inside the mouth. Because even though you can't see all the way into the back of the mouth, you can still get a pretty decent idea um, as to whether or not there are real major oral problems. Um, now, if you don't see oral problems, it doesn't mean that they're not there. But if you do, then clearly there you go. Um, and so at a very minimum, I like to just open up their mouth, pull the tongue to the side, take a look at both the left and the right side and see if you can see anything grossly that's a big problem there. Um, I personally float my horse's teeth about, well, so I, when they're young, unless they're having problems, I don't really do them a lot until they're about three or four years old. And then I do it like every um, year to two years up until they're about maybe 12 to 13 years old. And then I go to every two to three years after that, okay? Now, I'm not suggesting that that's the best way to do it. And there's a lot of equine veterinarians that would, that would suggest it to be done more often, okay? So why do I do it less often? Really, the bottom line is my horses aren't performance animals. I'm, I'm using them as a pleasure animal, and I don't need to get that extra, you know, half a second shaved off my run sort of a thing I want their oral cavity to be in, to be in good health but it doesn't need to be perfect for me okay um, and so that's why I do that now if you're in a performance horse type setting then obviously 
it might need to be occurring a little more often. And there's a lot of different opinions out there. You ask a hundred different veterinarians, you're going to get a hundred different answers. And I just more than anything recommend that you have a good relationship with your veterinarian and take their advice because they know your horse better than I do. Um, and so I just think that it's, it's important to at least have it evaluated. And, and I do think that a teeth float, uh, you know, at least every two to three years is in order for pretty much every horse. Um, you really avoid a lot of problems if you're doing them at least that frequent. And I certainly don't have a problem with them being done every year. We have some horses that have bad enough oral pathology where we do them every six months. And that's very specific to that horse and, and that's what they have to have. Um, and so just really develop a relationship with your veterinarian and trust their judgment because um, oral health really does matter a lot when it comes to um, training horses and performance of, of horses. The last thing I want to address is the topic of a horse is throwing its head when you pull back on the bit or you pull it sideways on the bit and so therefore it must have oral pain. Okay, I've heard this dozens of times both from a training standpoint and from a um, veterinary standpoint. People coming in with, with this you know quote unquote problem. Okay, um, And really you can boil this down to there's one of two things going on. Either there's a medical problem or there's a training problem. Okay. Um, horses have to be trained to respond to the bit and it, it all comes down to pressure and release of pressure. Um, and you know, back in the day, back before we understood all these principles of training, like they don't, um, get any more responsive than, than the first amount of pressure that you put on them or, um, horses learned from taking pressure away from the situation. All those type of things, before we really understood those, what did people do? Well, they would use the bit as a crutch to try to um, get the horse to respond properly. So the bits with more leverage and, you know, maybe a little bit more severe bite to them. Like, say, for example, a twisted wire snaffle instead of a smooth snaffle. Um, or, you know, a shank bit that's got just a little bit more uh, leverage on it, okay? And you can, you can actually read books about this. There's, there's a book out there called Bits and Bidding that talks a lot about this where, you know, basically they're advocating a, a more uh, aggressive ap approach or a more aggressive bit for horses that won't collect or won't do this or won't do that. And really at the end of the day, that's just kind of a lack of softness and... Um, you know, a lack of, of good training, essentially, in my opinion. Um, so there's a lot of myths out there when it comes to oral health and bits in horses. So one of the myths is that you need to pull the wolf teeth because if you don't pull the wolf teeth, which is basically the upper first premolar um, in a horse, then the when you pull back on the bit, the bit will pinch the cheek or the, the lips or the cheek against the wolf tooth and cause pain. Well, I don't know if you've ever seen an x-ray of a horse's head with the bit in its mouth, but the bit is like inches away from the wolf teeth. And so that's, that really is just kind of a big myth. It's just not something that occurs. Now I, I pull, I pull the wolf teeth all the time on client horses and I pull them on my own horse, but so I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it's probably more traditional than it is utilitarian. Um, and so you know, have I seen horses that have had oral pain from wolf teeth? Well, yeah, I have, but those wolf teeth were, you know, jutting out and hitting into the, um, into the, uh, the mucosa of the, of the lips or the, the cheek 
or they were loose and they were causing, you know, just because they were uh, loose, they were causing a little bit of discomfort because they'd move around. But as far as the bit actually pinching against those, it really is just kind of a myth. Um, so again, I remove them, but I don't, it's not something that you absolutely have to do. Um, and so realistically, the amount of times that you would see a bit, um, a horse resisting the bit because of oral pain, because of dental pain, like actual tooth pain, is like almost non-existent. Um, there are a couple conditions, equine odontoclastic tooth resorption and hypercementosis. I've seen a few cases of this. This is one time where the bit can cause pain when you're pulling it in really any direction if it touches a tooth. Um, and some, even if it doesn't touch a tooth, sometimes there's enough pain in the, the gums surrounding the teeth to where it will cause a lot of resistance by the horse, okay? So you can, you can Google this, it's E-O-T-R-H. Um, you can kind of see what the pictures look like. It's really easy to diagnose just by looking at it. Um, and so that'd be one example. Um, and so, and then there's, you know, a couple other examples where you've got, um, you know, a loose tooth or a, a fractured tooth or something like that. But those are just very, very uncommon as a reason for actual dental pain. Now you can have pain from the bit being pulled on, whether it's lateral, vertical, you know, wh whatever the case may be. But that pain is usually in the lips or in the gums than it, more than it is the actual teeth because the bit doesn't really touch the teeth, okay? Um, and so I, I'm just, whenever I hear people say, oh, he's got a tooth problem because every time I pull on the bit, well, I, I think I, I'm very skeptical of that because in most instances it really isn't the case, okay? But I have seen a few cases where it has been an oral problem, not necessarily a tooth problem, but an oral problem. I saw a horse one time that had a cut tongue that was resistant to the bit. I saw a horse one time that chewed on a power cord and got shocked and had some lesions on the inside of its mouth and it was resistant to even putting the bit in the mouth. Um, I've seen a handful of cases where a horse got just a little bit of a callus or a sore from the bit itself um, and We've had a few horses come through our horse training program that have been a little more sensitive to the bit than others. Um, and so they get kind of this callus or maybe a little bit of swelling, maybe even a little bit of an ulcer going on for the first week or two that we're riding them. And then um, as they kind of get that callus developed and built up, then it kind of goes back to normal. And those horses will be just a little bit resistant. But again, that doesn't have anything to do with the teeth. It has to do with the lips and the gums. Um, and so realistically if you've got a problem with a horse um you know being resistant to the bit um especially if it's a new horse or a horse that you're training it's usually going to be basically a training issue um where i start to believe this more is where the horse has been totally fine with the bit for years and then all of a sudden one day it's all of a sudden sensitive to it and in that case it's usually not a training problem it's actually a problem that's associated with some sort of oral pathology so so anyway I, I think at the end of the day if you have any questions about whether or not you think your horse could have oral problems that are leading to training or performance issues just have them evaluated by a veterinarian 
it's typically very easy for a veterinarian to diagnose that problem. But do your vet a favor and don't assume that it's that it's a medical problem and be willing to accept the fact that it could be a training problem if, if the instance kind of dictates that that is the most likely scenario. Well, I've got you here. I just wanted to let you know a little bit about some of our services. Um, we are still doing outside horses uh, training for, for individuals that have horses of their own um, that they want trained. We require a minimum of 45 days, and we much prefer at least 60, 90 is even better. Um, but you basically bring them into us, and, and we will, um, no matter where they're at in their training, whether they're just totally untouched or they've been ridden for years, we'll, we'll get a bunch of miles put on them and, and, and work on some of the things that you feel like need to be worked on. Um, we are happy to take horses that might have some known medical conditions that you want to have at a trainer that is being uh, watched over um, by uh, veterinary professionals. And we've had that uh, scenario a few times in the past. We've, we've had a horse that we knew had some issues with tying up. Um, we were able to uh, really evaluate where the horse was at and kind of tailor the training program aware around where that horse um, needed to be as far as from a medical standpoint. And we had a 17-year-old mare um, come to us a little while back that had some, some pulmonary issues where we had to be really careful about how hard we pushed her, but they wanted some training done there. Um, and so if, you're, if you have a specific case where you're like, gosh, I really want to get it trained, but there's some medical issues, I think this is something that we really do have kind of a strength where we've got the, the veterinary oversight so that our trainers can... Um, do their thing, but but also not uh, cause problems with the medical condition that your horse has. We also had another horse that had uh, a case of laminitis a few years back, and the owner was concerned about um, putting it into training and pushing it too hard, um, basically not being able to recognize if those, those signs of lameness pop back up. And so that was a case where we had the veterinarian involved um, every few days doing just a real basic little lameness exam to make sure that... Uh, that there weren't problems popping up, you know, slapping some hoof testers on every once in a while, making sure that there wasn't an issue. So if you have a horse that kind of falls into a category like that, feel free to get a hold of us. We're happy to provide training as well as veterinary oversight, um, which is certainly an advantage in those cases. So, um, and then we do training for, you know, obviously every type of horse, breed of horse. And we're just really big on getting them up into the mountains and getting a lot of miles put on them and getting them into the kind of that trail um, and pleasure type setting around town, dirt roads, foothills, um, along the highways, all the kind of stuff that's going to expose them to a lot of different experiences. So we also still have our buy Mustang program that is ongoing and we started to have a lot more interest in this. And so if you are interested, make sure that you get your spot held and we do limit this to a small number of horses every year so that we can make sure that they're going home totally broke. Um, in this program, we keep the horse for six to 12 months. And then when it goes home, it, it is just very, very well broke. A little bit of an update. We had a couple horses that came or that we, uh, that some clients purchased back in October of 2019. Um, and as I'm recording this, it's uh, January of 2020. Um, and so we're about three months um, into the training on, the, on these guys, a little bit over three months now. Um, and they, gosh, these horses are fun. They have just been great. Um, uh, I actually, we just had shoes put on one of them the other day. Um, 
and after we got done this this horse his name's poncho he's a little little uh bay mustang gilding with a two-year-old coming three-year-old this spring um and he's just so good for that the second set of shoes that he's had put on and and after we were done i i I thought well you know what i'm gonna jump on this horse bareback i don't think that any of the trainers have ridden him bareback yet but we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and try this and so um so anyway i jumped on him and and he he just didn't even act like anything was any different rode him around for a minute and worked on some backing exercises and whatnot and and uh, we were able to to you know kind of throw that new experience out of him. it was a lot of fun so i'm just really happy with the way that these horses are turning out they're they're really turning into some good horses there are still just a, a handful of really small training issues that we're working through um not i wouldn't even call them issues they're just things that we would expect to occur in a young horse that that has 90 days on them and so we're working through those uh um one one of the horses uh the, the actually the other one uh, it's a sorrow gilding named lefty we've been working with him a little bit he he likes to anticipate a lot of stuff um, and he's he started into this habit where he would try to back up on us when we would saddle him if he wasn't tied up and he was anticipating that and so we've been working with him the last couple of weeks on making sure that we get that out of him so that when we go to throw the saddle on him he doesn't want to back up and we've basically got that out of him at this stage but there's just always little things that we're kind of tweaking with him um, but these horses have already had just hundreds and hundreds of miles and they're they're dang good mountain horses we've had them in a lot of really steep country here uh, a week or so ago um, i rode um, I'm trying to think which one it was. I think it was the bay. Um, and we got them into some real steep country, and we were teaching them to sit down on their, their hind end and kind of slide down the hill in the snow and to not be concerned about that kind of lack of control that they have. And I was just so proud of them. They're, they really, really did a good job um, of not becoming panicky when all of a sudden they lost their footing and had to slide. Um, and so we really work them through a lot of just different scenarios. It's, it's just been a lot of fun to, to work with these two. Um, and uh, we're excited to send them home um, later on this spring or summer to their owners um, and excited for all the, the years ahead that they've got to ride them. So anyway, so if you're interested in the Buy a Mustang program, look at our website. Um, you can actually purchase the horse on the website. We go to the BLM facility, pick them up for you, train them for 6 to 12 months, and then you can um, – take them from there so i've um, been real happy with with so far that the, that program and, and the quality of horses that we've been able to put out it's been a lot of fun to be able to keep them longer than 90 days we rarely have horses that we're training for clients that we want to or that we're able to keep longer than that and it's just been so much fun to keep them longer because that's when all the progress really starts to occur and so if you're interested in that feel feel free to get in contact with us so um, any questions at all, feel free to call us or text us, 435-462-1311. Email us at info at sandpetehorse.com, and feel free to visit our website at sandpetehorse.com um, for more information on our um, training services, horses for sale, buy a Mustang program, lessons, etc. So until next time, I hope you enjoy your horses. Goodbye.